0: Each week, Richard and Father Mark present a rigorous discussion of the Bible in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. Over 24,000 episodes are downloaded each month at no charge. Please consider marking your level of support with a one-time donation or by pledging a small amount per episode. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's
1: P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Boulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. When someone sets out to do something difficult, they console themselves that their sacrifice is worth the effort because of what they will have achieved or attained. The problem, of course, is that we humans are as much aware of our own futility as we are comforted by delusions of permanence. In other words, no matter how much we lie to ourselves about life, sooner or later, Everyone asks, what's it all for? The answer, Paul explains, lies behind us because it was before us and mercifully, it was handed down to us. We need only honor the one who taught us by repeating it and acting on it. No matter how tough it gets or how futile our efforts seem, we have hope because what we have received and what we now speak manifests a glory that does not die. Richard and I discuss 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos, And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 126 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Therefore, since we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Paul has received this diakonia, which is a service. People think of ministry as something special that they get to do. What we call ministry is actually more technically our service, our servitude to the cause of the gospel as we have received mercy. Meaning we serve because we receive mercy, and in our service, we don't lose heart because we have received mercy.
0: Does the conduct of the Corinthians measure up to the teaching that Paul taught them? If it does measure up, then Paul was successful, and the community then is a seal on his teaching. If not, it means that the Corinthians did not follow the teaching. So Paul is saying here, look, I received the service and there's no way I'm gonna give it up. There's no way I'm gonna lose heart. There's no way I'm gonna lose my motivation on this thing because I constantly remember that mercy that I received. It's that mercy that's the engine for Paul to continue to serve and teach the community.
1: And that's why shame is such an important mechanism in biblical pedagogy. If you are not ashamed of your actions before God, if you are not ashamed of your actions unchecked by God's mercy and his teaching, you won't appreciate his mercy. You'll ask when called to serve, what's in it for me? And when you serve, if by chance you decide to serve or you accept the call, When it gets difficult, if you don't understand the magnitude of God's mercy in your shame, then you will lose heart.
0: My daughter was struggling with a class, and at the end of the year, she ended up doing pretty well. And so we wanted her to write a note to her teacher. And she said, Dad, what should I write in the note? And I said, what did the teacher allow you to do that you could not have done without him? Oh, but sometimes I didn't get along with my teacher. Sometimes I didn't like his teaching methods. Yes. But there were some things that you could do that you could not have done without him. Write about those things. It's that receiving the mercy and the gratitude that comes for what has been received that then becomes the engine for continuing to do the right thing.
1: But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Paul is renouncing the things that are shameful and hidden away and he's interested instead in exposing things to the light. He is
0: concerned about how people are acting, not about how they're thinking or feeling. These are the things that are hidden. Look, Paul, he's a human being. I'm sure he has a tough day where he's like, great, I get to get up again and go deal with those Corinthians again. You know what, I'd rather just hit the snooze, go back to sleep. Say,
1: I've had that thought occasionally on a Sunday morning around 5.30. I just want you all (laughs) to know that. I probably should leave that thought hidden, but hey. So these are the hidden thoughts.
0: He wants to put aside these thoughts that would cause him to go astray from the path that he needs to walk on, the path of the aconia that is powered by this mercy. Because as soon as he says, those darn Corinthians... He's forgotten effectively the mercy that he's received when God said that darn Saul, I'm going to have to eventually deal with him because he's a big problem. And God showed him mercy so that he was able to receive the teaching and then go on and continue to teach.
1: Having renounced things that are hidden or inwardly hidden because of shame and not walking in craftiness, or adulterating the Word of God. So not being clever, not trying to formulate my own words, my own ideas, or to do actions that suit me, or twisting or adulterating the Word of God. I like this word adulterating here because it implies infidelity towards the canonical inscribed text, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Earlier I talked about casting a light on things hidden. Paul is opening things up before God and before man, before the conscience of human beings and in the sight of God.
0: His actions then can be evaluated by other people. I'm teaching this thing. I'm acting this way. Now you in your conscience can compare what I'm doing with the word of God.
1: And even if our gospel is veiled, It is veiled to those who are perishing. So this underscores what we were saying last week about this concept of the veil and the Old Testament. It's not that you couldn't understand the Old Testament and now the Christians do and the Jews don't. This is religious chauvinism and self-righteousness. Paul is saying you can also be blind to the content of my gospel. It's the same teaching, so there's the same risk and the same problem. It's so important that we make an effort to purge ourselves of religious triumphalism because you can hear the Torah, you can be a disciple of the Tanakh and be exactly what you are called to be in the New Testament without reading the New Testament.
0: The truth of Torah is painful to look at. You can either stare it in the face Or you can look away or put something in the way so it doesn't shine nearly as brightly. Just as it's painful to look at Christ on the cross as the manifestation of fulfilling the will of God. Human beings have a choice then. Are you able to handle the truth? Can you handle the truth?
1: The glory that's shown from Moses' face. Correct.
0: Or the gospel that is shown forth by the actions of Paul. Some people just can't handle it. Some people see what I'm doing and they say, Paul, he's just crazy. He's teaching something crazy and now he's acting crazy. Well, why is this? It's because you don't know the difference between
1: sane and crazy. The letter that killed in the Torah is the same letter that kills here. Paul is saying if it's veiled, it's to those who are perishing. It's the same problem. If the lawyer goes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he doesn't get the message that the only thing you can do is give up everything for the neighbor, he will be put to death by the letter of the Gospel. And that lawyer couldn't handle the truth. He had to look away. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the Gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. He's talking about your shameful agenda that contradicts or tries to adulterate or twist the gospel in some way to suit you, which means that the false god, in practical terms, is you, you're the false god. That is the god that blinds you and blinds the unbelieving and makes it impossible for us to see clearly as though light were being cast someplace dark. The gospel of the glory of Christ. When you see Christ,
0: he does not look glorious unless you have substituted godly glory for earthly glory. The parable, again, of the rich lawyer. Jesus tells him if you want to have eternal life, sell all you have and give everything to the poor. and he has to just walk away. Because the brightness of the truth of that statement, the gospel, which is the glory of Christ, that he's willing to give up everything for the sake of the weaker brother, he is not able to look at that anymore. He's not able to see, he has to look away. He needs a veil, he needs something, so he doesn't have to stare directly into this bright light. And it's the love of money, the God of this world, that has made him
1: incapable of looking directly at this bright light. He has to look away. The glory of Jesus Christ here functions for the lawyer in the Gospel narrative the same way the light of the Torah shining from Moses' face functions. It's not happenstance that Paul is using the word glory here because we were just talking about in the previous chapter a different type of glory and how it contrasts with this glory. And in the end, what we see is that it is, as we always say, functional. That if you can reject the law that Moses brought down and turn instead to the works of the flesh and be put to death because you can't succeed of your own accord, the same thing can happen with the New Testament. Nothing changes under the sun. And
0: seeing the crucifixion is not supposed to make us feel sad. Oh, poor Jesus, look what they did to Jesus. It's supposed to make you feel ashamed that This is what he did in order to fulfill God's will. And how much you have fallen short because you haven't come anywhere close to where Jesus ended up. And this is the shame that it's supposed to bring to you. And this is why it's impossible to look directly at the crucifixion because it's too painful.
1: It's easier to do what people do, to rationalize, to develop crafty arguments to adulterate or disturb or twist something in such a way that you become justified and the trick is that when you do that as i said earlier you make yourself a god and you preach yourself and what does paul say in verse five for we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. So he serves by teaching the gospel and by living out the gospel, not for his own sake, so everyone says, way to go, Paul, you did it, good job, Paul. Which means he may have to do it in a way where you find it unbearable to even consider clapping for him. That's how the system works. His faithfulness is supposed to make you feel ashamed that you are unfaithful. For God who said light shall shine out of the darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So now the light is shining in the darkness and Paul is saying the darkness is the darkness of the human heart, the darkness of human reason, the darkness and the shame of human thoughts and human strategies and human schemes. And he's saying now the light of the knowledge of God's instruction, his glory, his kabod. It's not the kabod that a king wins when he conquers a city, an earthen treasure. It's the glory of something that can't be weighed on a scale, the teaching, the knowledge, the
0: wisdom. The darkness that humans have in their hearts is not what we talk about the world and its darkness and that sort of thing. It's talking about the God of this world, and the God of this world teaches us that God will not provide for us, that we need to provide for ourselves. We need to protect ourselves. We need to make sure that we have enough. We need to provide for our children. It's all up to us. I need to do everything, and God will pitch in and help me when I call on him to help. This is the darkness of the human heart because this is the way the humans reason. And what he's saying is that there is light that shines out of darkness, in spite of the depth and the blackness of that darkness. There is a light, and this light comes from the gospel. It comes from the teaching of God. And it shone in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So it shines in our mind, not just so we can bask in the light. And so then our actions reflect the teaching that we learn. If we learned a teaching and it stays in our brain, And it isn't manifested in our actions but the old teaching is manifested in our
1: actions who cares so what's the difference between the light in the face of moses and the light in the face of christ is that jesus now is speaking to you plainly to you the lawyer what must i do to inherit eternal life to which jesus is replying didn't you read the old testament don't you get it you can't inherit eternal life It's just like Zachariah when my father poured his spirit out on you and then you wept for the people you abused. You didn't figure it out on your own. You figured it out because my father poured his spirit out on you. You can't do anything of your own accord. That's why you died, because you achieved something in worldly terms, but it went nowhere. So you're asking me how to inherit eternal life? You have to lose in human terms and then there will be life. So you were put to death under the law of Moses because what you were doing was a waste of time and you were dust to dust. Now I'm telling you, you can be dust unto life, as Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians. You can be sown a perishable body and raised imperishable. That's the difference. That was always the case, but you didn't get the message. So I'm saying it now in plain language just sell everything that you have, give everything to the poor, and come take up your cross and follow me, comma, are you serious or are we playing games? I mean, look at Moses himself. What did Moses give up? Moses had the life.
0: Moses was living large. Moses was living in Pharaoh's house. He was living in the richest house in all of the world. And where did he end up? in the middle of the wilderness with nothing and people wouldn't listen to him and God ended up not letting him go to the promised land. Moses gave up everything. Why is this? Because he had to do the will of God. But
1: we, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Are you understanding me, O lawyer? You're quoting the Torah to me as though you can achieve it. Achieve what? What are you building? If God asks you to build something permanent and you build it out of cards and sand, why do you expect a reward at the end? And don't you see that everything you speak, everything you do is made out of cards and sand? your earthen vessel
0: is temporary. I mean, earthen vessel, this is the vessel as opposed to a silver vessel or a gold vessel. God did not pick out the shiniest, sparkliest, fanciest vessel to put this teaching in. He took plain old Saul who was committing sins, who was persecuting people who believed in God, who were trusting in God. And this way, God shows even more power because if Saul can teach the correct teaching, and he's a persecutor of the people, what can God not do? God can take the low down, lowliest guy and have him be the teacher of the truth and show the glory of Christ in his teaching. What can God not do? This is how God typically shows his glory, just as in the Exodus, he showed his glory by allowing a people who is not a people without a weapon defeat the most powerful army on the planet because This way they will know that I am the Lord.
1: I imparted this treasure to someone who is temporary so that they would understand the glory attributable to the permanence of God is not their glory. It is irrefutable that that which is true glory does not come from the earthen vessel but from God. It's the message of Genesis all over again, which is a very basic message. Man is not God. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. In other words, we have these earthen vessels that are temporary, frail, transient, but because we've been entrusted with this glory, the light of the knowledge of God's instruction. Even when you're struck down or perplexed, you don't lose hope you know you're not forsaken. You, like the three youths before King Nebuchadnezzar, know that whether you win or lose in terms of your earthen vessel, that your trust is in the Lord who does not lose and who does everything according to his will and his purpose. In other words, friends, it's not a hallmark card. Paul's not promising you everything will be okay. He's saying if you trust in the Lord's instruction, it will be well with you, even if it's not okay always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. We show that we are not the slave of our struggles or our difficulties or the perplexities he's referring to. We show that our life refers to the glory of God, which is impervious to these things. When
0: we carry the death of Christ in us, we think of Baptism. Baptism is not a way that we're included in the group. It's not simply a rite of admission. What you're doing is you're supposed to be carrying about the death of Jesus so that the life can be manifested in you. What does this mean? It means the glory as was shown in Jesus' death of following the will of his Father to the end allows us then to perform the actions necessary to manifest this according to the mercy, as we mentioned before, that was received by Paul in the beginning. For we who
1: live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So we are doing, Paul is saying, what Jesus in the Gospel invites the lawyer to do, to make a choice. Which life is life? What does it mean to live? Are you living if you're living for the trip to Home Depot and your garden? Or are you living if you're living for the Gospel? And if you say, I'm living for the Torah, I'm living for the Bible, I'm living for the Gospel, I'm living for the Lord, which is how people talk, then you have to take it to its full conclusion which is Golgotha, are you ready? If not, it's better for you not to try to follow the law so that you would at least know that you're not ready. But don't tell me, I did this one, I did this one, I did this one, I did this one, I'm a good, faithful Christian. Don't tell me that.
0: No, because you're not fully basking in this glow of the gospel which is going to reveal every flaw that you have in a very painful way. That's what you have to be ready for.
1: Right, until you have no choice but to accept that your place is execution for your sins. So death works in us, but life in you. This is the rub. He's talking about Paul. Paul's the one who's perplexed and suffering, not the addressee. Paul's the one who's carrying the death of Jesus around, not the addressee. That's an uncomfortable position to be in when your teacher and your father is the one who's bearing the burden. He's the one who's suffering. And he's doing it for you. Paul is not talking about a middle ground, he's talking about death.
0: So as our teacher is suffering the persecution and is suffering, what you do to honor him is not to give him a clap or give him a gift card.
1: Or commendation letter, as
0: Paul said earlier. He's not interested. No, you're the commendation letter. If I want a commendation
1: letter, I expect you to carry out this teaching in your actions. And instead, well, death is working in me, but life in you. The us is the apostolic we. It's Paul speaking with authority. So death is working in me, and you're complaining about my travel itinerary, Harkening back to chapter 1. Now he's putting them to shame.
0: It's like our teacher says, if you appreciate what I teach, don't tell me how much you
1: appreciate me. Go and write something. Paul is shaming the hidden things in their heart by bringing the light of the gospel. It's a beautiful and erudite chapter very clever writing but having the same spirit of faith according to what is written i believed therefore i spoke meaning i trusted what was written and therefore i repeated it and if you don't repeat what is written you don't believe believe here as we've said a hundred times is trust God is speaking through the hand of Paul in the letter, you either accept it or you reject it. And if you adulterate it or twist it or play with it to suit you, you don't believe in God.
0: Faith is trust, pistis, trust, which means that the spirit inside me manifests actions such that they demonstrate how I trust in the Lord. According to what is written, pistevo, I trusted, therefore I spoke. The spirit is manifested in me because I trusted, and as I trusted, I spoke. You have the teaching, it enters the brain. The brain says, am I gonna trust this teaching or am I not gonna trust this teaching? If I'm gonna trust this teaching, then I perform actions according to that teaching. I hear, I trust, and I act
1: accordingly. And hearing this in English, you would totally miss the translation because of the way they've imposed theology on the Greek. Once you impose theology on the Greek, you're imposing your interpretation or a different meaning. The play on words, as you pointed out, Richard. Pistis pistevo. And then, we also trust, therefore we also speak. But here in the English, it says faith and believed. What's the difference between faith and believed? I'll tell you what it means to English speakers. It means I had a creed and I believed in it, so now I could speak because I have the right ideas. But the whole letter is dedicated to saying your ideas are the problem. Your ideas are the hidden things that Paul has to expose. It's sad the way we adulterate scripture to suit our own agendas. We act as if
0: believing something in your head, believing something in your heart means something. And Paul has been spending a lot of time over the course of four chapters, not to mention the first letter to the Corinthians, to demonstrate how it's not about what you're thinking or feeling,
1: but about how you're acting. So again, he quotes the Psalms. I believed, therefore I spoke. And then, as you said, once again, he uses the same verb, bistevo. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Even in giving the instruction that you trust and speak on the basis of trust, he's echoing texts from the Bible. Paul's not saying, I believed, I spoke. He's saying, Scripture says, I believed, I spoke, therefore I believed, I spoke. Because unlike you, I don't twist it and I don't amend it, I just echo it. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Now this is not necessarily
0: good news because he's going to raise Paul with you. And now God is going to see how well did Paul do. Okay, let's look at the Corinthians. Are you going to make Paul look bad on that day? As if he taught you something that was antithetical to what he actually believed?
1: For all things are for your sakes so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of god and this is a beautiful beautiful verse once again it reminds me of the prophet zechariah because the grace is spreading to more and more people not because of your evangelization programs israel didn't repent of genocide against the nations because it suddenly realized the folly of its actions It realized the folly of its actions because God poured out his spirit upon the people and made them see their own wickedness. So it's God who does it. Even the repentance does not come from you. The prodigal son did not figure it out and repent. People don't change and they don't repent. They just, by the grace of God, find themselves in a different situation in which repentance becomes possible You put a person in a certain situation they thrive you put them in another situation they don't thrive the person is the same what changes is the setting in which they're placed and who controls the setting god so don't imagine that anything that is accomplished by the grace of god's teaching is attributable to the community therefore we do not lose heart But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day.
0: As one continues to listen to Scripture, it continues to renew one's mind, renew one's dedication to this teaching and fulfilling the teaching. And even if the teaching functions at the expense of the body, it still is the teaching that's being manifested.
1: It's the teaching that's being manifested. And if you trust in that teaching, why would you lose hope? If you know that the same God who allowed the nations to put his son to death is the same God who will raise him. If you trust this, why would you lose hope? For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So the kabod, the weightiness of God's glory, far outweighs whatever piddly difficulties and challenges you encounter in this life this is a much more flowery way of saying
0: suck it up if stuff (laughs) is happening badly because you're following this gospel
1: teaching suck it up it'll it's fine trust me you wish paul just said suck it up this way you're getting a beautiful tongue lashing (laughs) at the end of which you're reminded that you have to suck it up While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. That is where our hope is. The
0: glory that Jesus manifested when he was crucified is what is not seen. This is the glory. So in spite of his corruptible body... In spite of the persecution that he undergoes, we look for the teaching that motivates, the teaching that continues to allow Paul to teach and to preach and to serve in spite of his body being broken down, his body being persecuted, his body being taken prisoner.
1: For the things which are seen, Paul's broken body, for example, are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal, And man, as we know, has eternity set in his heart by the hand of God, as the preacher says, but he can't grasp it. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father.
0: You've just heard the Bible as Literature.
1: Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.